this morning with a question. And the question is this. Uh, what dream has been in the heart of God since the beginning? What, what longing or dream has been in the heart of God, the creator, since the beginning of time? Uh, obviously, what I'm doing is asking a question that maybe doesn't even fit the, the person that I'm referring to or the, the entity, the thing, uh, God, because God, of course, is not human. He's not male nor female. He's other. So we're, I'm, I'm asking a question and talking about a heart and uh, in the mind of God or in the heart of God. And it's called anthropomorphic language. I'm putting that on God. So it maybe doesn't work, but what I'm trying to get at is what has been the longing of God since the beginning of creation, when God, as a Trinitarian thing, this Father, Son, and Spirit deal, uh, decided and spoke, and things began, and things came from nothing, what was the longing inside of whatever it is that you could call a heart? That's, that's the, the, maybe the, the, the closest we can get to for the center of a, of a person or a being, right? Their soul or their heart. So what rested what welled up in the, in the heart of God at the beginning that caused this God to speak and, and creation to come forth? That's the question I want to, I want to start with this morning. And it's, it's no secret uh, that this world, the world that, that you all uh, and I walk out of into this place uh, this morning, it's no secret that the world that we live in is not as it should be. Uh, some people talk about it in terms of broken, or uh, uh, you may hear religious people talk about sin. Uh, and I don't think you have to be a Christian or a religious person to say that there's something not okay in the world around us, that something is broken or something is not right. Um, and as such, people throughout the ages have been trying to answer the question, what's wrong? Uh, what went wrong? Where is this going? What's the meaning of this? All sort of center around the same idea, right? Uh, and Christian, non-Christian people through the ages have been asking this question, trying to figure it out. John Lennon being one example of that from our particular day and age. Did, did that bring back memories for anybody in the room here? Um, Lennon, obviously, uh, if you listen to the song, taps into a philosophy called humanism. And really the answers are lie within us. That Imagine if there's no God, no heaven, no hell. It is just the sky above us and the earth below us. It is just you and me. Uh, and, and moves a bit towards atheism, which sounds kind of like if, you, if you're familiar with Nietzsche, the guy who said, we killed God, uh, a world with no God. So this is what Lenin offers. Um, here's a, a quote. This is a, you know, an example from our age. Here's one from an ancient, ancient source, Homer. He says, insignificant mortals who are as leaves are and now flourish and grow warm with life. They feed on what the ground gives, but then again fade away and are dead. Richard Dawkins, uh, many of you might know, he's a, an atheist, a evolutionist, uh, a scientist. He says this, we are survival machines, robot vehicles blindly programmed per, to preserve selfish molecules known as genes. This is a truth which still fills me with astonishment. Uh, if you're a poet, here's a, a poem which essentially says the same thing. Everyone's listening, but not everybody hears. Everybody's brave, still everybody fears. Everybody's searching, but not everybody finds. Everybody's looking, but everyone is blind. Our lives are what we make them, by design and chance, still innocent victims of circumstance. Everybody's wanting and everybody needs. Everybody's trying, but not everyone succeeds. Everyone's laughing, still everybody grieves. Everyone's praying, but not everyone believes. The meaning of life is simple. Nothing elaborate or complex. Life is, a, is not a game, nor is it a test. We are born with no roadmap. We are given with no guide. 
Lots of different people trying to answer the same question. <clears throat> I want to start this morning with an assumption that there is a uh, that, that there is a God. Some of these quotes and, and folks who have tried to answer this question start with the assumption that there is no God and work from there. I'm obviously not starting from that perspective. And what I want to do this morning is dive into, really try to tackle this question of what has been the dream of God from the beginning of creation? What has been belonging in the heart of God? Said differently, is there a driving or primary theme that rises up from this story that tells us about this God that, that's, that this story speaks of? Is there a theme or, or a driving sort of idea? And if so, what is it or what are they? And then moving towards what are the implications for us, for a group of people gathered called the church? So if you would, uh, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. And uh, there's going to be a, a couple of different passages read. Um, Genesis 2, 4 to 9, and then we're going to stay in chapter 2, 19 to 25, and then we're going to jump to chapter 3. So as you just kind of hear the story and follow along, uh, we'll be in Genesis 2 and 3. And here's what I'm going to have happen. Uh, my friend Jackie is, is going to read, and uh, I spent some, spent some time this last, maybe two weeks ago, with a Jewish rabbi who actually is a, uh, I don't know what they really, a rabbi. <laughs> I was going to say a pastor, but that really is what, she's a rabbi at Beth Jacob, which is just up the road here in, in, uh, in uh, Mendota Heights. And as I was meeting with her, she talked about how their gatherings, and every time they gather, a significant portion of the story from the Torah is read in their midst. And she talked about the depth and the meaning and the beauty that she and many others find in just hearing the story over and over again. So this may seem a bit laborious. It may seem like it's a bit much to just read some of the narrative of Genesis, but I, I, I do it on purpose, and I want you to really let it sink in. So if you listen better with your eyes closed, or if you listen better following along, it'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, but I want you to just hear the story, okay? And pay close attention to the two different two different worlds that we hear kind of being read. All right? So, Jackie, if you would. Starting in Genesis 2, verse 4. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. When God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. God had not yet sent rain to water the earth. Oh, okay. What? Sorry. Okay. That's okay. That's okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then he made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she is taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. 
Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. So the Lord made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Then the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. I just have two thoughts I want to propose this morning. We're talking about this question of what has been in the heart of God, what's the dream of God for creation from the beginning. So this is prior to and then right after the fall that we've all heard about where Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Prior to the fall, I would submit to you that the dream of God, the intent of God that we see in Genesis is one that includes peace, harmony, or or the Jews would call peace, shalom. So peace, harmony, and order. Excuse me. Uh, so in the first group that we read, that's what we see. We see God's dream, this this idea of peace and harmony and order. And I want to I want to say uh, if we can interchange order with justice. Now a lot of times when we think about justice, we think about like somebody getting what's due them. We you know somebody pay, getting what they uh, what they getting what they paid for. Uh, how does that phrase go? You know what I'm talking about, right? It's like like they did something and now they're getting what they what they paid for. Uh, and that's what justice is. But if you look at the biblical account, I think that there's a different kind of justice that's talked about. And it's one that actually has to do with order and disorder. And so justice is where things are in order in God's creation. Justice looks like where, where everything that God created and the way in which he created and the amount that he created it and who should have it is all in, proper, in its proper place and there's order. And when that doesn't happen, it's injustice, where things are out of order. So in the second group of passages that we heard, the opposite of, of the first we see. We see the, the breaking of, uh, of, instead of harmony, we see dissonance. Instead of peace, we see adversity and antagonism. And instead of order and justice, we see disorder and injustice. Now back to the original question, what's the, what's the dream in God's heart from the beginning? Clearly I think we can see that from the beginning, before Adam and Eve chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we saw peace and harmony and justice, order, things in the way that God intended them. And this was what welled up inside of God, and then he spoke and came into being. So this is what we have in creation. Now, does anybody notice, it was very, very subtle, chapter 3, verse 21. Something happens in verse 21. Uh, somebody who's got their, does anyone have their Bible still open? Three, do you, what does it say there? 321. Stop right there. So God, in response to Adam and Eve eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he makes skins for them. What does that assume? He killed an animal or animals. Prior to this point, and the, the author of the, of the story doesn't really go into the details, but this is the first moment, and this is huge, this is epic, because up to this point, there is no death. Death is 
is not a part of God's original plan for creation. What we experience as our bodies decay and, and death happens in the world was not a part of God's original intent. And so when Adam and Eve choose to go outside of God's intent and they go this direction, what happens is God kills an animal to clothe them. Let me say it this way. The death of God's dream for creation results in the death of God's creation itself. So when the dream of God for what he created dies, when the intent of what God created dies, the result of that is that the creation itself experiences death. To say it differently, to live outside of God's intent for creation is to experience death. To live outside of what God intended for creation is to experience death on every level. This is why God said, of course, if you eat it, you will surely die. Not grow a fifth arm or not uh, be banished or not. But what he says is you will surely die. Because to live outside of God's intent for creation is to experience death. So what does this mean for awaken? What does it mean for a church like you and I gathered here in this room? We talked about waking up earlier. Now we're talking about God's dream. What does this mean for us? Uh, in the first previous service, of course, we talked about this idea of waking up. And we talked about waking up to the fact that Jesus has done what he did, uh, that life is found in Christ, and that his death and resurrection means something for the world and for those who say yes to him. We talked about wanting to be the kind of community that continues to wake up to this new and this true life that, we're, that is offered in Jesus. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians, where he says, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. So this new and true life, what does it mean to continue to wake up to that? Because it doesn't happen all at once. And we talked about wanting to be the kind of community that, that says to those who, who maybe haven't seen or, or realized Jesus and what he's done yet, we're, we're the kind of community that says wake up to them, but that doesn't come up to their bedside and scream through a megaphone, wake up, wake up, wake up, like some Christians and some religious people do, which is horribly unfortunate. We don't want to be that kind of community. We don't want to be that kind of Christian. We want to be people who, through relationship, come alongside of those and say, wake up. There's a new world that's bursting forth right here in the midst of this one, in and through Jesus. Do you see it? Do you hear it? So we talked about waking up, but what are we waking up to? And I would submit we're waking up to this dream, to God's dream. God's dream for the world, according to Genesis and lots of other passages in the Old Testament, if you look for it, would say that it's one of peace and harmony and order. So... If order is justice and disorder is injustice, what does it mean for us as a church to ask this simple question? What is out of order in our community? Uh, have you guys ever heard of like vision statements at churches? Have you guys ever heard of this before? Okay, if you've been around church long enough, you've, you've probably heard things like this. I have a friend of mine who shall remain nameless, who was a part of a church, and uh, I watched this from the outside, kind of looking in, and their church went through this vision process and I'm not even kidding you. It took them like over a year to, to go through this vision process. Now, their church was happened to be located right next to this uh, senior living, like literally, their parking lot shared. Uh, this senior living like complex where there were just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of elderly people who lived within a stone's throw away, literally. On the other corner from them was a uh, college, uh, one in the Twin Cities here that it's a commuter deal. So like tons of people come to, lots of people. And I'm sitting there looking from the outside. A year and a half it took them. What's the vision? What's God's vision for our church? And I wanted to like go into one of the meetings and say, 
Are you kidding me? Like, it's, it's that hard? Uh, how close are these people and how close are those people? These are very specific groups of people. What if you just got involved in their lives? That could be the vision of your church. So we go round and round and round all the time about what's the vision of our church and what should we be doing? Here's a question I want to I offer to you. What if we ask, what in our community is out of order? Where is their dissonance? Like if Ben were to come up here and start playing chords in a major key, and then he picked a, th- a chord that was way out of that key and totally off base, you would hear it and you'd go, ah, that's dissonance, okay? That's not harmonious. That's not, that doesn't fit into the way music works. What if we looked at our culture around us, the community, these people over here and up here and over here and over here and said, what's out of order? Where do we hear dissonance? And we as a church said, that's our vision. Specific. Because here's the thing. God's God's mission for the church is, is a general thing, right? It's about the redemption of all of creation. Anyone who says yes in Jesus, the redemption of all creation. That's what God's up to. That's very general and specific. And so when a community, a church says, starts asking this question, the general becomes particular. The general becomes specific. And for you and for me and for Awaken... It becomes very obvious when we start asking this kind of a question, what's out of order? Because we don't have to look very far. That's the process we're in the midst of as a community. Uh, That's what's so exciting about this thing kind of building from nothing, uh, is we're right in the middle of that. Here are maybe some some examples of, of answers to this question, what's out of order in our community? When people don't have enough food, that's an obvious one. That's out of order. That's the, the things that God has made for us to eat and consume. When a lot, when a, Some people have more than enough and some people don't have enough. That's out of order. That's dissonance. When, uh, when there are people who uh, single moms and single dads who are trying to raise their kids, that's out of order. That's not how God intended it to be. Uh, when when Kids are struggling to learn because of poverty. That's out of order. That's dissonance. That's not the way God intended things to to happen. Uh, When people are estranged in relationship from one another and to their creator, that's out of order. That's dissonant tones that we're hearing. Uh, A particular example of this for me happened again just yesterday. Uh, We're driving home on Crosstown with my kids in the minivan, and Hadley, my oldest, says, Dad, go past our normal exit and go up to the next one. Now, of course, I being the all-knowing father, I knew exactly what was in her head, and I didn't say anything. I, I could have said, oh, Hadley, why do you want to do that? Because here's what happens. If you go uh, east on west side cross down, you couldn't get off at Penn for a really long time. But you could get off at Xerxes, the next one. So we have, we'd have we have to get off, turn around, and come back on Crosstown and get off on Penn. Every time we, we were at that stop sign at the top of Xerxes and Penn, there's a guy named Brandon. And he stands there like this. And he kind of kicks his heels back together. I know this because that way I don't have to look in his eyes, right? You guys have done this before. And the sign says absolute desperation. That's out of order. I don't know this guy's backstory. He may be a, 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 a cracked out drunk. I don't know. And the money that he's getting from me, maybe he's using it for drugs, right? That's what we all think, so that we don't... I've been there. I'm not placing blame or guilt. But when I looked at Brandon yesterday, and I had, I've been working on this, I'm like, wow. Okay, that's dissonant, right? That feeling that you have in your gut, in your heart. What if the church said, what's out of order in our community, and how do we get involved? So in Genesis, we see this peace, harmony, order, and justice. 
Now, does anybody notice a, a theme that runs through all three of those or four of those terms? I would say that each one of these has something to do with relationships. Uh, and so when you break them all down, they have this relational quality to them. And when, when God's dream or intent for creation dies, what really happens is the breaking of relationships on all kinds of levels. And I think personally that's a better definition of sin than I've found anywhere else. Sin usually is talking about like the things that we do wrong and the ways we miss the mark. And I think even deeper than that, it's a breaking of relationship on all kinds of levels. So what we see in Genesis 3, after Genesis 3 and all through the story of God, which of course culminates at the cross, is a God who's attempting to restore relationship. So I'm going to have Jackie read a passage from 2 Corinthians 5. But before she does that, I'm going to just preface a couple things. So just turn there if you would. I want to just talk a little bit about this. Uh, when humans and God interact, right, uh, typically within religious systems, there's a way in which that happens. And I want to give you two examples from, from the ancient world as to how humans and God would interact because it's going to shed light on the passage we're about to read. Here's a pagan example, one that's not, uh, not Israelite or not Yahweh. So if you look at the Babylonians, these are a group of people that conquered Israel, and they came in, uh, they, they had all kinds of stories of their own. And you can go on the internets and the Googles and find these things out if you're looking for them. One particular example is called Enuma Elish, and it's a, it's a Babylonian creation account. Within Enuma Elish, the way in which the humans related to the gods, first and foremost, the humans were created out of chaos and, and, and sort of... Uh, because the gods needed servants, essentially. So the humans were slaves to God and worked for them to gain approval and existence, and their service to God appeased the gods, all right? The common theme that you find in almost all ancient Near Eastern accounts, as far as humans and gods, is that humans always make the first move. It's always the humans coming to the gods and doing something, sacrificing something, giving something up, serving in some way in order to appease or gain favor from the gods. So it's always a human-driven effort. Now, turn to a, a, a biblical example, the Israelites. Still the same thing. Within the Israelite system in the Old Testament, you had humans coming to God and asking or uh, presenting sacrifices in order to receive forgiveness from God. Now, this is the cool part and why I love to study the scriptures. There are ways in which the biblical authors will say something that sounds exactly like everything else that the people would have heard back then. So, when the Israelites and, and the sacrificial system is set up, it looks just like everybody else's. The humans are coming to God to ask for forgiveness or doing something. But then sometimes there are these shifts, these little tweaks that put a new spin on everything. And the people who would have read it would have been like, oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. There's only one God, which is actually the point of Genesis, not whether or not he created it in seven days or literal or all that kind of other stuff. Rubbish. Totally rubbish. Never intended to be asked. Forced upon questions that we force on the text. Just a little soapbox. For a second. It's rubbish. So here's an example of, this sounds just like everybody else, right? Humans come to God and they give their sacrifices. And then Paul and the New Testament just tweak it ever so slightly. And listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God is in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. 
So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be right, made right with God through Christ. Did you guys catch that? The, the, the total mind shift is God, the creator, is reconciling humanity to himself in and through Jesus. So it's God making the first move. So in this particular text, what we have happening is a completely new idea on the, on the landscape. And it's God who makes the first move to say, I want this thing that I've created to be reconciled to myself. And so I'm going to do something. I'm going to enter the story. I'm going to personally get my hands involved and do something. And that's what we see in and through. That's the beauty and the absolute profundity of the incarnation. Blows me away. I love Christmas every time we get to it. Because if we see God actually, like Jesus, and, and, and to come as a baby, to come as the most uh, needy and 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 uh, what's the word? Uh, vulnerable, thank you. Vulnerable being that you could possibly enter the story in and through. And that's how God shows up. It's just mind-blowing. So what we have in this passage, different from the old Israelite system, and different from all the other religions in the world that have come thus far, is a God who says, not only do I want my creation reconciled, not only do I want to restore relationship, but it's God who makes the first move and gets involved in and through Jesus. So in Genesis, we see prior to the fall, the, the dream of God is peace, shalom, harmony, order. And when Genesis 3 happens, there is a, there, there's a, a, you know, like a crazy chord that's played in the, in, the, in the symphony. And everybody knows it. And it's like, oh my gosh, how are we going to fix that? And the rest of the story of God, from Genesis 3 until Revelation 22 is the story of this God getting himself personally involved in and through Israel and then in and through Jesus culminating on the cross. And what he's after is the restoration of relationship because in Genesis 3, that's what was lost. So if the dream of God existed between Genesis 1 and 2 and peace and order and shalom and harmony and justice was the case, Genesis 3 happens, and what is lost is relationship, because in order for all of those things to happen, peace, harmony, order, what you have to have is proper relationship. And so the rest of the scriptures tell the story of a God who's bent on restoring relationship with humans and with creation. Because what, is, what does Romans tell us? That creation itself has suffered from this fall as well. And it groans for redemption. So if I were to say two things, if I, as I read the scriptures and I, and I ask this question and start with the question of what is the dream of God for creation from the beginning? We see it as order and peace and harmony and shalom. And then we see a break in that. And then we see a God who's about restoring relationship. And so John Lennon was close, right? He talks about a world where everyone gets along, where things are right as they should be. But I would submit to you this morning that what John Lennon leaves out, what he shows us is the human condition, the longing that's in each of us for a, a, for a world that is as it should be. That's what we long for. That's what our hearts beat for. That's what drives people to do the things they do in the name of, of justice, in the name of uh, compassion, in the name of... It's, it's in each of us because we're all created in the same image of this God. But what he offers 
unfortunately fails to address the real problem, which is in you and in I, which is our inability to live and relate to each other as we were supposed to because of what happened in Genesis 3, what Christians and theologians and other people call sin. And I would say this breaking of relationship. The scriptures, on the other hand, and, and really what we're about at Awaken, tell a different story. One that has a God, an objective third party, if you will, who acts on our behalf to create a way in which we can be restored, to a, a way in which relationship can be restored. And so at Awaken, we want to be waking up to this dream, this dream of God that included these things at the beginning and is now happening in this space here where there's a God who's about restoring relationship, and that's what we want to be about. So we're asking the question, what's out of order in our community, and how can we as a community step into that and be people that enable the kingdom of God to happen? What's the kingdom of God that Jesus talks about? It's the same thing that started here. Peace, order, justice, shalom, the things that God created and intended for creation in the beginning. That's the invitation. That's, that's the good news, by the way. Uh, that's the good news, and that's what we're offering you. In, that's what God is offering us to participate in. Not because he needs us, but because he wants us. <laughs> that's amazing. That just blows me away that God, the God of creation, would say to you and to me, would you, part, would, you would you actually respond? Would you dance with me in this thing called redemption? And, and you can't do it on your own, but I'll give you the spirit, I'll give you my spirit, which will empower you to partner, to be involved in this thing. And when we say yes to that, that's when the, this thing called the abundant life that Jesus talked, that's what happens when we get ourselves involved in, in enabling this dream to happen in our communities and in our relationships around us. And that's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why I get so excited about it. And so as we dream about Awaken and what it is, is going to be and what it could be, we're connecting ourselves to this dream that God has for creation and what he's doing in and through Jesus in the world. Uh, and we want to invite you to be a part.